I, I say this almost every week, but you're missing out if you're sitting in the back. Um, some of the answers that you don't hear Jen repeat are the best. Uh, <laughs> uh, just in case you don't know, um, the kids also follow along with what the sermon is that I preach on the same text. And so they're speaking about this covenant that God makes with Abraham. And before I read that, I just want to uh, mention a couple of things, or one thing. Uh, in just a few weeks on uh, Wednesday, uh, March the 27th, I will begin in the evening uh, three sessions on who we are as a church. Now, it says on the screen membership, but I don't want you to feel intimidated by that. Uh, if you just want to learn about us and who we are and what it means to be a part of this church, we want to invite you to come out to those. They go from 7 till 8.30, great coffee, and we'll even give you a donut if you're so inclined, but a great opportunity to learn about our church starting on March the 27th, then April the 3rd and the 10th. And all we ask is you just let us know so that we prepare accordingly. This morning as we prepare our hearts to hear the word of God, I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite us to pray together after which I will read the scripture and you may be seated. If you're with us for the first time, we often say a prayer before the word is read and the word is proclaimed. And so I invite you to pray with us. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, reading from verse 1 through to 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, or Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. 
And then the Lord said to Abraham, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace." You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then when the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There was a song I sang when I was in VBS. Anybody know what that acronym means? Vacation Bible School. And we used to run that all the time in South Africa, and we would uh, have tons of kids from the community come, and the song went something like this. Now, if you know it, just smile, okay? Father Abraham had many sons. Say it with me. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Now, here's where it gets tricky, because when I researched it, we were very militaristic in South Africa. The next line we would say, so let's go marching on. Is that how you remember it? It is, so you were militaristic too. When I did research on the text itself, uh, it, it, it actually says that the song lyrics is, so let's all praise the Lord. I like that a little bit better. And then you began with right hand, then left hand, then right foot, and left foot. Some of you are looking at me really strange. There is a point to my story. And I, I wonder what was the point to the song though. <laughs> And of course, as I grew up, I learned about Father Abraham, as many of you do, and I learned that at some point in his own life, he did not have many sons. In fact, Abraham is a significant patriarchal figure, not only to Christian faith, but he's significant to Judaism as well as to Islam. And all three of those religions, including our own, uh, we kind of lay claim to Father Abraham in some way as being kind of the patriarchal fatherly figure for our faith. In fact, the New Testament looks back to Abraham quite frequently. Both Paul and even James looks back to this specific chapter in Scripture and says he is the exemplar. He is the definition of what it means to be a faith-filled person. In, in, you know, Father Abraham, who had many sons, is credited to be a man of great trust and of great faith. So let's go marching on. But it's interesting to me that just a few chapters prior to the chapter that I read to you, God called this man out. Now, for those of you who know the Bible, you know that Abraham was the son of Shem. You knew that, right? Shem was one of the three sons of Noah. You know that, right? 
And God calls this man, Abraham, to leave his home, to leave his country, and God makes some commitments, some promises to him. God says, if you leave this place, you will be blessed. You will be the father of a great nation. Listen to this blessing. Your name will be great, and through you, other nations also will be blessed. It seems at that point when Abraham leaves his country, his homeland, he's exhibiting what the New Testament authors are saying is true of his character. He is a man that is willing to trust God and to leave all that is comfortable and familiar to him and enter a country and a land that was not only dangerous, but didn't want anything to do with who Abraham is. Can I pause for a second? By the way, some of you look so very, very sad this morning. I hope it's not on account of poor sleep or perhaps more serious issues. But you know, I, I was saying to the, the, the prayer team this morning, I was saying that uh, I love the fact that God invites us to come just as we are. So, so when you come through the doors, there's no expectation that I'm gonna say to you, just forget all your tears and your problems and your sorrows and just pretend to be happy. But sometimes when we come together as God's people with where we really are at, God has this incredible way of ministering to us where we may find ourselves. So just a little interlude this morning to suggest to you be open to how God may in fact speak to you today. Abraham leaves, he seems to personify faithfulness, but in chapter 15, we find that he starts to have a little bit of doubt. When time passes, after a commitment and promise has been made and nothing seems to materialize, Abraham is like you and I. He says, uh, I'm a little anxious and I'm a little worried. And God responds with some assurances, Abraham, I will be your shield. In other words, I will be your protector. And your reward will be great. And Abraham says, yeah, yeah, that's fine, but what good is a reward if I have no heir? What good is a reward and a promise if I cannot see it being fulfilled? Now I want you to keep in mind that this is the man to this day that we look back on and say is an exemplar of faith, but even as he experiences the commitments of God and the promises of God, Abraham finds himself asking the question, how is this really going to happen? And then he does what I think I've done in my own life. I start to take matters into my own hands. Oh, Eleazar, he, he'll do. I guess if you're not going to come through, I'll take matters into my own hands, and he will be the way in which your promises would be fulfilled. And then God responds with a strong, affirming, no. Eleazar is not the way that I'm going to fulfill my promises. In fact, someone that comes in the NRSV from your own issue, that word literally makes, means from your own person, from your own body, will be your heir. Ha. And this is where Abraham, or Abraham, really becomes faith-filled. And Abraham, it says, believed God. In, in, and I, the, the word believed in the, in, the, in the original language can also be rendered trusted, and I think that's the preferred rendering. And Abraham trusted the Lord, and the Lord reckoned, reckoned it to him as righteousness. It's interesting to me that when I 
think about the biblical characters that we often espouse and talk about and learn from, that it is easy sometimes to look at them and say they are the example to be followed. But when we study them closely, we find out they are just as human as you and I. You know, uh, the, the problem with looking to biblical characters as the standard for how to live is that they inevitably don't live up to all the expectations that even God may have of them. Perhaps I would say this to you, that we have to be careful that we don't use that as an excuse just to live anyway as Christians and say, well, I'm not the example, so I'm just not going to like people. And that's okay, because God is the example. But I think there's something definitively different when you study the scripture to recognize that the characters in the scripture, even someone as faithful as Abraham, has a moment in time when he says, God, I know what you said you're going to do, but I got to be honest, as I look around me, I just don't know how you're going to do it. Have you been there? Have you been in a place where Perhaps the commitments that you've believed seems to be fading. Time passes and you start to have those kinds of doubts. But God responds. And Abraham believes. And God continues on, not only to promise that he will have an heir that comes from his own body, but God says this. He will give him this land, this land occupied by the kings just listed in the previous chapter. God says this to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abraham sings one of my favorite Whitney Houston lyrics, how will I know? (laughs) Isn't it interesting? So much confidence So much certainty, God credited to him as righteousness and literally, without skipping a beat, oh, you're going to give me land? How will I know? How will I know? You know, I I think that the Christian faith is, is one that I grew up in and I'm so grateful for what was passed on to me. But I think we've put a lot of emphasis on how much we have faith. In fact, it is Jesus who would tell the parable that says, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, it doesn't seem like Jesus deals in this kind of quantitative way in which we measure our spirituality. And it certainly seems within the text here that this man of faith quickly moves from Faith to show me how it's going to happen. I love reading these scriptures because I think it gives permission to the honest doubters amongst us who often feel that they cannot ask God questions when things are difficult. Can I say this to you, my friends, that the scriptures are wrought, the Psalms are wrought with men who cry out to God in times of testing, in times of barrenness, in times of difficulty, and they say, God, please have mercy. Show me how things will be done. Listen, if you're here this morning, this is not even a part of my sermon. This is free of charge. If you're here this morning and you're going through a difficult time, you can ask this great God, God, what is going on? I don't feel like things are the way they need to be. I don't know how things are going to come about. I need some answer. I need some direction. And then... (laughs) It's going to get better, I promise. God responds to Abraham. 
And instead of just giving him words, God invites him to invoke a treaty. The treaty goes something like this. God is responding to Abraham's question, how will you give me the land? How will I know? And God instructs them to get some animals. Now for us, this is a strange portion of scripture, isn't it? If you listen closer to the text, the animals that Abraham gets, he knows what to do with, which would infer that Abraham knew this kind of treaty, this kind of cultic practice. He gathers the animals, he cuts the animals in two, and he separates the pieces from one another. I want to be a little bit graphic with you this morning, and I want to suggest to you to kind of imagine what this gauntlet looks like. Bloodied animals that have been cut in two. And this is what would happen in such treaties. If there were two kings that were at war, and one king was superior to the other king and wanted to commit to peace, they would do something like this, which is referred to as a suzerain treaty. They would make the lesser superior king walk through the gauntlet of blood to do two things. To say that I'm committed to keeping my vow to you, and if I do not keep my vow, let what has happened to these animals happen to me. Not only does God instruct this really strange cultic treaty, but then he speaks to Abraham, and I, I, I want you to hear what he says to Abraham, because I, you know, be careful what you ask God, you know? How will I know? God responds and gives him this vision. Here's what God says to him as he falls asleep after this laborious task of cutting animals in half. Your offspring shall be aliens in a land that not, that's not their own. They shall be slaves there and they will be oppressed for 400 years. Huh. Did you really need to know that, Abraham? but I will bring judgment upon those nations and bring them out with great possessions. You, however, will die in peace and your people shall return here after four generations. What a vision, what an answer. How do we make sense of God's response to Abraham? In 1986, my little brother was eight years old. Uh, he was on his way along with my older brother and myself to school. We were in public transportation uh, in a double-decker. Do you know what that means? Okay, sometimes I use strange British words, and you may look at me funny. And we were in the bottom. My brother, older brother got off first at his school, and the next stop was my little brother Eugene's stop. As he got out of the bus, just at eight years old, I was the last to get off, I handed him his bookcase, and as I handed him his bookcase, a car overtook the bus on the wrong side and hit him right in front of me, and he went flying. Long story short, the doctors said when Eugene arrived in emergency that his parents need to be called immediately because he is dying. He's just eight years old. I remember the whole, the, that whole experience all too well. The first time I saw him, uh, what he looked like. I remember when we were brought into a room and told, prepare to say farewell to him. And then I remember 
how over the course of eight months, the church around the world, we belong to a global family, us Nazarene, so we get the word out, and, and, and people started to pray all across the world for my brother. Over the course of eight months, he came out of this coma, he recovered, and in the, he went into the next year of school, and uh, you know, just a miraculous healing. But it was that next year when my dad was preaching in the church of my youth. He was the district superintendent by then, so you know, he was big stuff. And you know, he was preaching at the church that I grew up in, and he was talking, I don't even remember what scripture he was using, but he was talking and he made this statement that stuck with me ever since. He said this, he said, I don't know if I would have the courage to follow Christ if I knew everything that could and will happen to me. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, isn't that the truth? You know, and when I, I look at Abraham, and Abraham insistently says, show me more. Listen, I think there's permission to ask God more. But sometimes, my friends, the reality is that what we will endure in this world, as it would happen to Abraham and even his descendants, are very hard to endure. And the story would be awfully miserable if I left it there. But then as Abraham falls asleep, what happens is phenomenal. The smoking torch and fire pot, the smoking fire pot and torch, moves between the pieces. Now remember what I said about this particular treaty. The lesser would go through because the greater would say you are committed to this. But instead, the God of Abraham's walks through the treaty saying this, if this covenant is broken, I will pay the price with my very death. Did you get that? I gotta sit down because that was so good. Can I just say a couple of things based on this text? First thing is this. Just like Abraham, we live a life in which there are times of waiting for God's fulfillment. There are times we feel like saying, can we throw in the towel, can we give up? You know, I could preach a whole sermon on just what God says will happen to his descendants and what will happen to Abraham. And if I was Abraham, I may have had a little regret in pushing God to tell me exactly what was going to happen. But here's what God says, with all that you will endure and with all that your people will go through, ultimately, the promises I made to you as my people and that I would be your God will not cease. Here's what God is saying to Abraham. As hard as the journey will become, as difficult as the sacrifices will be, as many as you will have to face as you move into promise, I, your God, will walk ahead of you. I am more committed to you, Abraham, than your faith can muster. Listen, here's how I want to preach the sermon. Yes, do we need more faith? Absolutely, but let me make it very clear. Abraham's faith pales in comparison to the faithfulness of his God. Abraham's faith is not as significant as the commitment that God himself makes to keep his own promises. And that promise is fulfilled not only to Abraham, but to all of us when Jesus became the bloody sacrifice on that cross. In Lent, we look ahead to a God who says this, I will do everything to fulfill my promises to you. I 
will even take your place and die for you. If you want to know what distinguishes the Christian faith from other faiths, is that we have a God that is daring enough to take upon himself our frailty, our weakness, our sin, and say this, I shall die your death so that you may live the life that I've called you to live. And when that torch and pot moves through that gauntlet, God moves ahead of Abraham, offering him all the confidence he will need to not become the people, the person that God wants him to be, but the father of a nation and a man of deep faith. I wonder this morning, if for some of us, we may ask the question, can we trust God? Because I think the conversation between Abraham and God is one of trust, isn't it? It's one of God, you know, I, I know what you said, but, but when things get difficult, can I, can, I really, can I really depend on you? You know, it's so much easier in my own life to thank God when everything is going great, huh? To be optimistic and to be faith-filled when things are going well. But I thank God for the scripture. It reminds me of a God that may not spare me from the difficult things, may not spare us from the difficult things. So many Christians ask questions of God when they go through difficult times, and I'm not going to suggest to you that I'm any different to you. Sometimes I say, God, you know, that's kind of enough. Can I get an amen? Some of you are trying to be really holy right now and say, not us do. God, this is difficult. This is hard. I didn't anticipate this is the way it's going to be. Can I get an amen? God, I didn't know that following you would be this hard. I didn't know that I would have to face some big giants. I didn't know that things were going to take a long time to happen. Can I get an amen? God, I didn't know that this journey will be the way it is. But we rest our faith in the promises of the one who said to Abraham, what I said I will do and I will do it. This God who takes our place and says, I will fulfill what you cannot for this is the kind of God that I am. Oh man, I, amen. You know, I, I gotta take out, I gotta take out my hanky. <laughs> oh, Sister Jennifer, thank you. Jennifer makes up for your quiet amens. Keep on praising God. You know, I, I don't know if, if you realize, <laughs> Glenn, this is your fault that I'm down here now. You built those steps. Got no one else to blame but yourself. You know, I, I, I want you to hear this, because I, I know I'm not preaching this as well as I could, but I want you to hear this. The reason we can face tomorrow is because God has already faced it for us. You know that, right? The reason we can suffer with hope is because he suffered for us. The reason we can live through difficult circumstances and, and not lose our faith is because he is the one who holds not only our present but our future. This is the God who loves us so much that he gives his very life for us that we may have life. Listen, my friends, can I testify to you? I am learning, I am learning, I am learning that no matter the season of life that I face and go through, the God in whose character I trust is a God who is faithful. What he's promised, he said he will do. If you're waiting here for God to 
intervene. If you've been waiting for a while for him to do something, let me say this to you. He is faithful. He will do what he promised he will do. But let me put it to you in a greater sense, in a greater picture for us as Christians. The battle has been won on our behalf. Satan has no foothold or stronghold anymore. For Christ is the one who paid the price on the cross of Calvary. Listen, my friends, he has broken and broken the chains that can hold us back. He has set apart his people for his purpose. It is now our opportunity to respond in faith and in trust and to say, no matter what we face, we know how the story ends and it is good news. This is the God of Abraham. This is the God of Isaac. This is the God of Jacob. And this is the God of Skyview Community Church of the Nazarene. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of adoration. And instead of pushing Abraham aside, he gives him a vision, a commitment, a treaty to say, Abraham, even if you can't, I will. I will do it. For this we give God thanks, for he is faithful. I even saw somebody that rarely claps and rarely raises their hand. Just praise the Lord. God is setting people free. <laughs> you do know as a community of faith that uh, part of my gift to you is learning how to be my true self. Do you know that? And I want you to be a true self. I never want you to feel when I'm insisting, this is just a, can I call this an ad? <laughs> 30 second spot, that when I say, say amen, and that's not in you to do, please don't feel guilty for not saying it. But for some reason, it's a joke that doesn't get old. <laughs> and I ask you every time I preach to say amen. When my little brother was injured, I saw a demonstration of faith in my family that would make an indelible impression upon me as a child. You know, um, it's one thing to say we trust the Lord, but it is certainly something that is proven true in some of the most dire moments of our life. I say to you today, my friends, that I preach on this God who makes covenants and commitments and will remain faithful and may not spare us from the hard challenges that await us as we live our life in the present. But I say this to you today, that he gives grace and strength to endure whatever we must face. And he is the one in whom your Proverbs says, the, 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 the proverbial wisdom of Proverbs comes to us like this, he is the one that we can trust in with all our heart. He is the one that, that goes beyond our understanding. He is the one that when we acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. The great prophet Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, immovable, dependable, eternal. 
I wonder if as we enter in this Lenten season and move towards the cross of Christ, that symbol that hangs from this wall will remind us all that he has done what Abraham could not do, and he has done for you and me what we cannot do, and our response is not just worship, but trusting him. Trusting him. Do you, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it's because I'm middle-aged now. Yeah, there I said it. I faced my demons. It's true. But I think about a lot of old songs I heard when I was growing up. You remember this one, Trusting Jesus is All That Matters? No? This is a classic South African one then, huh? <laughs> See, I know stuff you don't know. And your life, it will never be the same. I see my mom's face singing that song. Trusting Jesus is all that matters. Boy, oh boy. You know, I wish it was as easy as singing the song. (laughs) What do you need to trust him for today? What is it that that feels heavy? Uh, You you want to sing Whitney's song. (laughs) How will I know? (laughs) God, how will I know I'm going to be okay? How, how, how will I know the situation will resolve itself? How will I know that I'm going to make it through? I, I want to say to you, look at this cross. It is the symbol that says, no matter what you face, I've got you covered. I wonder this morning if there are some of us who, who might be in the midst of a, a real challenge in our own personal life, and we've been facing this challenge for a while. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I'm, I'm not pretending that I know who that might be. But, but this morning, uh, the, 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 the prayer has to change from God, remove the challenge to God, help me to trust you more. You know how I found this in my own spiritual walk with God is that sometimes he doesn't remove the thorn in the flesh. Have you found that? It's kind of biblical too. (laughs) You know, Paul three times. Three is a good number, right? Three times, I beseech the Lord, thinks the uh, New uh, King James Version, to remove the thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, what? By grace... My grace is sufficient for you. Maybe for some of us who, who find it hard to trust because God hasn't removed the thorn, the prayer that we ought to pray is, God, may we trust you that whatever we face, it will not overcome us. And that whatever we would have to go through, we know you are faithful You see, Lent is a journey intended for us to come face to face with the reality of our mortality, the reality of our humanity, the reality that we go through challenges. We become sick, relationships may end, problems may come, but it points us to a deeper reality. The one who created us is faithful and he will walk ahead of us so that nothing may overcome that which God has intended for those he loves. And for this I give God thanks. This morning as um, I stand before you as your pastor, I stand in need of this message. 
You may not know this, but you know, <laughs> most of the messages I preach, it's like God is saying, can I tell you through your own voice what you need to hear? Perhaps I wish sometimes that I was like other preachers, but I can only be who I am, and there is a grace in being called to preach. I, 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 I can't explain it to you unless you start to do it. It is the hardest thing to do, and it is the most rewarding thing I do in my life. There's a grace because every time I have to open the word and <laughs> I was invited to, to talk about preaching and yeah, I went on way too long in a class recently about it. But, but in the class I said, you know, what I've discovered is, is that preaching that, 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 that is convicting, preaching that, that connects with people is not preaching that is disconnected from truth because the preacher himself stands before this living God and says, God, <laughs> What are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Perhaps in our culture, we like preachers who walk on water. I once made that illustration in a pastor who's kind of one of those smart Alex, you know. I said Jesus was the only one who walked on water. He says, no, Peter did too. But you know what I mean. Sometimes, you know, when we look at a pastor through a certain lens, you know, it, 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 it kind of creates a distance by which we can excuse that we perhaps don't have to live a certain way. Maybe it's just, just certain people. <laughs> people who Jesus really gives, like, something special to. Can, can I say this to you? I love for you to treat me special. <laughs> I love for you to... to, to I think there's something about respecting those whom God has called to preach, even if I must say it myself. But, but let, me, let, me not, let, me, let me make a very, very clear point to you. My friends, every Sunday I stand before you, I stand under this word as one who too needs to hear it so that I may too live the life he's called me to. And this morning, he's spoken to me. Do you trust him? Do you believe that in your waiting he is faithful? That even when life gets hard and the journey seems to narrow in and we ask, where are you? He is faithful. And all God's people says, thanks be to God. Let me pray. This morning, Father God, you know my heart and you know the hearts of each one gathered here. Our faith is not about escapism, that is that we don't believe that somehow being Christian means that we escape the hardships or the challenges. Perhaps it's more convenient to believe that, but when life is hard and difficult, that belief is quickly overturned. Sometimes people become cynical, they become doubters. But here in this church, in this community, I pray that you would help us to look at your word with honesty and, and to be able to receive from it its truth in all that it offers us. That yes, God, you've made a commitment to us, but sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we experience pain. 
Sometimes we look at our world and, and we cannot fathom the violence and we cannot fathom the hate. Sometimes it is hard to believe that the story will end well when we look at the newscast and we read our social media newsfeed. Father God, but I pray this morning that you would break through by your spirit into each and every individual life that is here today, reminding them of this, that you can be trusted, not only for their lives or for my life, but for this world that you love. Dear God, help us to be a church that is so deeply, deeply filled with trust in the one who has made the promise to his people that he will renew all things. And so I commit to you today the opportunity to respond to your word. I ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen.